Hey, this is Daniel Hartz with Sustainability Matters Today, a podcast where I showcase pioneers of sustainability and discover their journey. The aim of these conversations is to share ideas from leaders in the field on how you as an individual can incorporate eco-friendly practices into your personal and business life. Today, my guests are Elena and Zima Hartz, a couple who have a very productive home. They grow their own fruits and vegetables, preserve and ferment their own foods, and have a self-contained ecosystem with chickens that eat pests and produce eggs. We discuss a lot of things, but some of the highlights are the love for composting, the importance of keeping your own bees, and the best turkey they've ever had for Thanksgiving. Let's dive in and see why these topics contribute to an eco-friendly lifestyle. Great. I'm here with Elena and Zima Hartz, who live near Tacoma, Washington. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Daniel. I'm excited to talk to you both um, because there's so many things you do that are part of a, you know, what we call a sustainable lifestyle um, that may seem normal to you, but I think are, are actually very unique to many people. So, for example, you grow many different types of vegetables and fruits, you compost, you have chickens that lay eggs, you hunt for mushrooms, uh, you buy half a cow, you buy a whole pig from your neighbors, you preserve a lot of your own food. Anything else that, that you do that I may be missing? We also have uh, two, two huge dogs. Okay. Elena, you said you cook a lot as well. Yes, we do. From my point of view, I, I think that it's a very sustainable mindset, meaning you're thinking about kind of the environment. But even if you're not, how did you get into doing all of these various things? I mean, it's a lot of stuff. Well, I think for me, it's um, more of my childhood. And when I was a child, I spent every summer in my grandmother's in Russia. Mm -hmm. She did have, um, you know, a large piece of property where she grew her veggies and fruits. And uh, she did have some livestock. And um, I was always dreading those tasks. Yeah. That I will have to be watering tomatoes for two hours instead of playing with, you know, my friends. Um, right. And um, I always hated that part. And uh, it never even occurred to me that one day I will have a garden um, or I will have chickens. And it was much later in life, actually, in my, um, I think, in my 30s. I was about 28 or 30 when um, I planted my first flower by my apartment. And slowly but surely, it, you know, it started and uh, continued going on. Um, I think for me it's part of a returning to the flavors of my childhood. Yeah, I, I think uh, I agree. A lot of it has to do with... Uh, Going back to your, to our roots, no pun intended, <laughs> but uh, I have similar uh, situation because I grew up uh, with um, our own vegetable garden and the uh, fruit garden, mm -hmm. and one of the things that we discovered, Elena and I, that we miss a lot of things, which are not popular uh, in the States, things uh, that we grew up uh, as uh, kids, um, a lot of, uh, like, certain fruit, for example, or certain berries are simply 
not popular in the States and impossible to get. So we decided to grow our uh, own. Would you agree? Yes. What exactly is it that you miss? So, for example, to me it's very obvious, uh, but it's not obvious to everybody else. Black and red uh, current is not popular in the States, but it's also impossible to get. Gooseberry, sour cherry, all of these things uh, we love, but we cannot get them, so we decided to grow them on our own. Another, go ahead. Um, some of the veggies, for example, um, parsley root or parsnip or celery root, you can find them only in some supermarkets, but they uh-huh. are instead essential in our you know, Russian cuisine, so to speak, and I use them for um, for every stock and soup, and I use them frequently, but it's almost impossible to find them in the stores. We also discovered uh, very quickly that uh, the stuff that we get from our garden is, uh, because it's so fresh, it yeah. contains the childhood flavor almost. It's like, uh, it's very flavorful, and nothing beats... Um, that because you simply cannot get even if you go to the farmer's market i'm convinced that uh, we are not getting the same flavors from the farmer's uh, market as we get here from our own garden but another thing is of course a lot of it has to do with food like for example in uh, our we all grew up uh, with uh, young potatoes Something right. to dig out, and then you cook in a very special way with uh, fresh uh, garlic and with fresh um, uh, dill. All of it comes from our garden, including potatoes, and you simply cannot even buy young potatoes uh, the way they have to be in order to cook these dishes. All of it has to do with uh, the way we like our uh, dishes because the flavors are uh, impossible to beat when it comes from your own garden. It all started really more out of um, necessity to a certain degree, really. Or craving for certain foods yeah, flavors. And then that also comes down to the preserving of the food as well. That's very true. What exactly does it mean to preserve food, at least the way that you do it? Well, when you work hard all year on producing something in your garden and you it's more than you can eat fresh, you have two options. You throw, I mean, three options, really. You give it away, you throw it yeah. away, or you preserve it. And uh, again, it goes back to our culture. In, um, in Russia, that's what we did. Summer would be spent, summer and fall would be spent preserving the goodness of a garden. Because if um, if you did not preserve, you did not eat in the winter. So yeah. it was a necessity. But then again, home uh, home preserves, canning, it tastes nothing. No store-bought preserve will taste as good as a homemade. Yeah, well, I'm guessing you, you pick everything when it's perfectly ripe, and then you're preserving it right away. Pretty much, yes. So uh, I'll give you an example of what we yeah. preserve. For example, and it's interesting how we learned how to preserve because we had to go back to our grandparents and the Elena actually recovered, if you will, by interviewing 
her parents and the, my grandparents, we came up with the original recipes which uh, they used, and it took us years actually to perfect these things. But we preserve, for example, we pickle our own cucumbers and tomatoes. And this is very interesting because if you've never done it, it is surprising. It was a surprise to me. Elena taught me that, uh, for example, you have to, when you preserve, when you pickle uh, cucumbers, you actually pickle them in uh, hot water. Same with the tomatoes, and it would never occur to me the first time Elena told me about this. I thought uh, that the, the recipe is wrong, and whoever gave it to us has no clue. If you're putting it in hot water, then you're going to be cooking the, the vegetables and the fruits. That's right, and uh, there is some of it, uh, as it turns out. But um, the interesting thing is that that's also what makes, for example, cucumbers crunchy. We discovered, because we started getting really interested in this, you start learning about uh, these things. And, uh, for example, I discovered that uh, before you pickle your cucumbers, we leave them uh, in cold water for hours. Ideally, if we would have, like, a brook or a stream on our property, that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, but that's also what makes it um, what makes it uh, crunchy. Another thing that I found out by really reading about cucumbers, you can see that I'm sort of a, a fan of pickled cucumbers. But one yeah. thing that uh, I found out that not every kind of cucumber is good for pickling. And uh, when you look at cucumbers, fresh cucumbers, you will realize that they have little dots on them or little uh, pricks, if you will, tiny, tiny needles. The, if the color of these uh, tiny things is white, then uh, you use these cucumbers for uh, salads. They will not be pickled well. The ones that are pickled well are the ones that have black dots. But these are the things that you learn. And this is what I mean by us going back to our roots, because all of a sudden the things that our grandparents really knew well, we're rediscovering them, and that's what we really like. What else do you like to preserve besides cucumbers and tomatoes? Well, we do. Um, Zima fell in love with blackcurrant preserve. Uh, we do make our own sauerkraut. Mm. And do, you grow the, um, do you grow the cabbage and all these things that you preserve? Um, no, we do not grow the cabbage uh, that we preserve. Like we do buy organic and, you know, as much as possible from locals. But okay. our garden is not that good, and I'm still learning about cabbages. Mm-hmm. So one day we will, but not yet. But we definitely, pre- we definitely grow our own black currant. We have, uh, we have at least uh, half a dozen uh, bushes. And it produces quite a bit of um, uh, black currant, which we definitely preserve, but uh, I eat it almost right away after the preserve is made. Right. I start eating it because uh, I absolutely love it. Uh, so pickled cucumbers, tomatoes, uh, you make your own sauerkraut, black currant preserve. Anything else you like to do? Well, we smoke, we smoke salmon. Yeah, we, we, f- we don't fish for salmon, but we'll buy yeah. local 
we get what we live in the Pacific Northwest. So um, we do have a smoker, so we do smoke our own salmon. Yeah, we do quite a bit of salmon. I just remembered that this year was the first year where we got so much grape. You wouldn't think that grapes, uh, at least I didn't think that grapes actually uh, grow in the Northwest. Right. But they do. So uh, this year we got quite, a, I, I don't know, about 10 pounds of uh, grapes. Probably oh, wow. more. Was it your first year actually getting grapes? Yeah, it was the first year getting so much grapes, but we got them before. But it's still, still young, uh, young wine we just planted recently a few years back, so they're just starting to produce. But this year there was so much that I actually made uh, for the first time in my life. I uh, made uh, about a gallon of our own grape juice. That was, was absolutely, absolutely delicious. delicious. Uh, oh. Objectively speaking, it was just delicious. Yeah, you can drink that without without stopping. Well, you you, you can <laughs> drink it and yes, I couldn't stop. I drank the whole <laughs> gallon without stopping. <laughs> <laughs> Not even for a breath. <laughs> I'm a big boy. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned something interesting. You say that um, in terms of the things that you don't grow, like um, specifically the cabbage, that um, you buy organic and local, and you mentioned that you're in the Northwest, and so the salmon is local. Uh, what's the importance? Why, why do you focus on organic and local? Why not just go for something in the supermarket that's easy to find? Um, well, because in my opinion, and the people, lots of people disagree, but in my opinion, if I can eat fewer chemicals, um, I would. So if, there is a, if I have an option to buy organic, I would. And mm-hmm. that way I will support people who produce organic food. It's always, um, it, it's almost always is more expensive to buy at the store than uh, conventionally grown um, vegetable, vegetables and fruits. But um, I do want to give organic farmers a fighting chance. I try to support local and organic farming and sustainable farming as much as possible. Is that more for your own personal health than for anything else? I mean, is there any kind of environmental motivation? I think, it, I think it's both for our own health and for environment as well. Um, yeah, there is nothing good about chemicals running off from the fields into the ocean and our streams. We'll read left and right that such and such um, stream or body of water is heavily contaminated with such and such medication or this or that chemical or, um, you know, fish is dying off. So um, there is nothing good comes from that. It makes the chemicals make life easier for farmers, but easier is not always better. A lot of people don't really know what organic means, but organic means uh, not only not using pesticides, for example, or not using um, um, chemicals, because uh, vegetable vegetation does need chemicals. They either get it from uh, the soil or uh, you can introduce it artificially. But one yeah. thing that organic also means, and we like that, is uh, 
the very <laughs> going back to sustainability uh it's the usage of uh, the land because organic also means that uh, you don't uh, exhaust your land to the degree that it becomes uh, totally unusable but mm-hmm. you rotate so uh, we i like the idea that uh, people uh, the farmers are uh, thinking not only yeah. caring about the land because uh, organic implies that you rotate your crops and uh, you understand that certain vegetables uh, benefit from growing next to each other and sometimes they don't benefit from growing next to each other so uh, a lot of knowledge actually people don't realize these days but um, a lot of uh, it requires a lot of knowledge to really yeah. grow things and hard work right so that's why we like the idea of organic and how much of that kind of thought process you know from organic and crop rotation i know that you know you're not like an actual full scale farm but how many of those kind of ideas do you put to practice in your own garden i like the idea of composting and we're almost religious about this whatever we compost only the vegetation stuff mm-hmm. like uh, vegetables or greens but uh, almost religious it's like um, i will uh, i uh, want to make sure that uh, none of the compostable stuff goes into the regular garbage it's like sometimes i fish it out from our by mistake if by mistake we put it into regular garbage i will take it out and put it into our special bag for composting as uh, i just like the idea of uh, producing our own soil if you will without mm-hmm. using any outside chemicals well in the garden we also um use a lot of beneficial insects um even if we don't have our own we would buy at the store ladybugs and praying mantis and other things and release it in our garden to combat the in uh the pests because if there is food there are always pests and um if you don't do something the easiest way is to spray of course but mm-hmm. then you introduce chemicals that will kill the beneficial insects as well like honeybees and um and bumblebees and others so um we do use uh, natural insects like uh ladybugs just like i said and this year we're going to for the first time we're going to use mason bees and leaf cutter bees in our garden we just bought a few uh bee houses so um we do look we do look at nature and learn from that it's a very natural transition to our chickens right the, there are two things uh, that our chickens do first of all it's like uh, because our chickens are free ranging it's like uh, <laughs> it's like uh, a running fertilizer Yeah. yeah they run around and they uh, really fertilize the ground and sometimes uh, we don't like it but uh, they actually aerate the yeah. ground because they keep uh, they they dig things out but they also help with pest control because they eat a lot of um, bugs and uh, so in that sense we have our own ecosystem 
that is self-supported uh, and self-maintained because uh, we grow our stuff, we have our chickens, which are taking care of uh, bugs, um, and then we have uh, the eggs. And they have to say that uh, the eggs from our chickens is uh, something that uh, we've had our chickens for at least four years. Uh, we cannot still get enough uh, of our eggs, meaning uh, we love our eggs. Like every time we eat them, we keep saying you cannot, and that's absolutely true, you cannot get eggs like this from a store. Starting from the taste and ending with the color of the yolk. When you go, let's say, on vacation somewhere and you, you, know, you go to the hotel and they have scrambled eggs or sunny side up there, can you instantly see and taste the difference? Not only we don't, we don't notice, but we try not to order eggs when we go anywhere. Right, that makes sense. Going back to the um, to the bees, because I think they're a very misunderstood insects. So it's really interesting to hear that you're getting um, bee houses or beehives with the the mason bees and the leafcutter bees. What's their purpose? To pollinate, to pollinate fruits and veggies and flowers. And this, um, we all know that uh, right now the uh, honey bees are trying. Uh, all, you know, disappearing and dying off, and uh, that's a very big problem, and um, it, it's a catastrophic problem. So we yeah. do plant a lot of um, flowers that bees love, and that try to attract as many bees and butterflies to our garden as uh, possible. And uh, for example, this year we had all our fruit trees. We're flowering beautifully. There's abundance of uh, flowers on trees, but um, because we didn't have enough bees to pollinate them, we, uh, we ended up very few fruits on our trees. So this year we're going to, um, we're not going to wait for bees to arrive at our house. We are going to uh, have our own bees in our old houses, so they can start pollinate as soon as uh, flowers open on trees. The, this year was, uh, I mean, the last uh, spring and last summer, um, it was uh, a bit disappointing because, as Elena said, we had so much flowering and blooming going on. Our uh, plum trees and um, apricot uh, trees were absolutely, because we have quite a few of them, they were absolutely covered Gorgeous. with flowers, like completely, like, like a Japanese garden. And then uh, at the end, we ended up uh, really only with like 10 uh, pieces of fruit, absolutely delicious because they were ours. But that's what led us to Elena actually saying, uh, that we should uh, get our own bees because uh, there was no cross-pollination going on. That's incredible. So you're actually seeing in your own home the negative effects of the declining bee population. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. First of all, do bees ones make any honey? And second of all, why specifically mason and leafcutter? So the thing is, um, honey bees... Um do produce honey. The mason bees and leaf cutter bees do not produce honey. Uh -huh. However, um, to have honey bees, it is a lot of work, and it is in our plans to eventually get honey bees, but not at this stage. 
um, because they do require a lot of care and supervision. Okay. Mason bees are more um, much better pollinator than honey bees. Honey bees, uh, the way they get the honey is that they bring the pollen into a beehive. Because yeah. yes, yeah, so they get they put it in the pockets, small pockets on the on the um, tiny legs, and then bring carry it to their um, to the honey bee uh, to the um, house. And right. mason bees do not do that. So mason bees do not gather the pollen. What they uh, into the pockets? They actually bring it on the tiny hairs all over their body. Yeah. So every time when the mason bee visits the flowers, the whole body get covered, and then the in um, in pollen, and then it goes to the next flower and next flower. So that way they're um, actually ninety five percent more effective pollinators than honeybees. I didn't know that. It's like uh, Elena quite uh, a few times educate, uh, educates me on these things. I didn't know uh, these things about uh, the bees. I simply thought that mason bees, that they simply don't uh, produce honey and that was it. Right, but, exactly. Uh, yeah. But there are plans in the future at some point to have honey bees. Yes, absolutely. I grew up my uh, when I was a little girl. My grandfather, um, when he retired, he became a beekeeper. So he would have 40, 50 beehives, and he oh, would take wow. me with him um, to take care of them. I had to made a special uniform when I was a little girl, and he would teach me about bees and show me how it's done. Of course, I was little and don't remember much, but it's um, it's in my blood. It's absolutely on our in our plans. To, to switch to a different topic, because one thing that you don't do in your home or in your in your garden is grow any sort of animals for meat, um, the meat you purchase from neighbors. That's correct. You get half a cow, and then you also buy a whole pig at a time. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of meat. Why do you get so much? Where does it come from? And why do you choose to go about doing it that way rather than, again, just going to the store and buying a couple of packs of whatever you need for the week? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's, uh, you know, there are d- definitely different, uh, many reasons for that. First of all, um, I do believe in raising um, animals humanely. Um, I would rather have a cow that spent its life enjoying the sun and grass versus in a feedlot. So I, I, I do care about that. Um they are part of ecosystem. You know, they bring something, you know, a cow brings something to the nature, nature gives something to the cows and the, you know, land and all of that. It's, uh, um, and the, the flavor, you cannot beat the flavor of a grass-fed cow versus the cow that was never seen the sunlight. Um, we do want to support local farmers and people who care about the farming as, as much as we are. Um, it takes community to be successful. And, um, well, in the reason we buy, um, you know, by the freezer, it's, it's more economical. It, it, it preserves well for a year. You don't feel, um, you don't taste any difference. And um, it's more economical to save money. And time. So every time I want to cook, I don't have to go and look for a specific cut at the store. I just open my freezer and get something out of there. 
Right, and the, another thing is because we are buying directly from uh, the farmers that we know, it's just easier for them to sell it uh, in big quantity to us because they uh, they are not set up to do retail. But one thing that I also wanted to... You mentioned something which to me is very important. Why don't we grow our own? Well, there are some practical reasons, of course, because uh, our property is not that big. But there is another much bigger reason, at least for me. All of our uh, animals, including chickens, they're our friends. Like, every chicken is uh, named. And uh, I cannot eat our friends, let alone kill our friends. In fact, it took me a long time, uh, Elena convinced me actually, to try the eggs from our chicken friends. (laughs) But after I tried, I quickly developed uh, the taste for... Appreciation uh, for friends. That's right. (laughs) Now I appreciate chickens. And now you know what friends are for. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, these are... We're friends and we have their benefits. (laughs) But... uh, we, we, a little story, many years ago when uh, we met these farmers from whom we buy the meat, we visited them and they asked us if we want to meet our cow. And I was horrified at the suggestion and the, the idea, so the answer was absolutely no. Because um, I'm still too much of a city dweller, I guess, just to treat... um, There is a part of me that uh, I just prefer not to know these things. But I am a meat uh, lover and eater, and so is Elena, so uh, we do do eat it. Yeah, So, but we do appreciate what our farmers do for us, and uh, it it just... um, you know, there are different kind of farming, different kind of people. Some people can't deal with, you know, um, harvesting their own animals. Some people can't, and we prefer not to. But we do appreciate that someone else can and gives uh, the livestock really a wonderful life. They're saying, you know, happy cows or happy chickens, happy egg, you know, happy eggs. And we are what our animals eat. So it's very important how they're taken care of. So we do want to make sure that our chickens eat wonderful food and all the bugs and grass and has access um, to all the goodness because that's what they put out in the egg and that's what we eat. That's where the flavor comes from. And the same with cows. You know, it's uh, it's what they eat. That's what we eat. And in addition to that is... um, Again, going back into our cultures, um, culture, um, we do cook quite a bit of awful meat that is not readily available in the supermarket. So, um, you know, tongue and liver, I mean, liver is more probably available now, but there are, you know, certain things that American culture, especially on the West, that probably coast and East Coast are not very exposed to. So there is very limited availability. You can find certain things in ethnic stores, but um, you know it's hard, and especially 
you know, when you're far away from ethnic stores. So, but having your friends, farmers as friends, definitely helps. The, to me, this is very interesting uh, culturally. It's not a, does not directly have to do with us growing our own stuff, but uh, it's interesting how the American culture over the years is trying to get away from um, connecting the way the food uh, naturally looks to sort of uh, being totally unrecognizable. And because of that, a lot of children, for example, don't cannot really relate when they eat meat. There is absolutely nothing in the, the way the meat is sold, especially if it's prepared meat. You yeah. absolutely don't connect it to the original uh, uh, meat. But it's also interesting, like, if you go to anywhere in Europe, if you go to a meat section, and I'm not even talking about... Um, places like uh, Asian countries, but uh, in Europe, you go to a meat section, you will see a lot of um, diff- not only different cuts, but right. uh, you will see internal organs, for example, being sold, uh, because that's what uh, European cuisine still uses. But yeah. in the United States, you go to a meat department or a deli <laughs> department, you pretty much will see a bunch of variations on uh, chicken or or uh, turkey breast. And amazingly enough, speaking about farming, this year was the first time that um, I um, purchased for Thanksgiving a turkey that was raised locally, so a heritage breed, and it was not frozen. It was actually fresh. It was chilled, yeah. but not frozen. It was much more expensive than um, regular turkey, obviously. It looked completely different because the turkey was pasture-raised. So it, 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 it didn't have that huge breast that we're accustomed to in turkeys. Um, but it was remarkable because the flavor was... I've never tasted a turkey of that flavor ever in my life. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. It was amazing. absolutely amazing. The flavor, the juiciness, the tenderness of a meat, amazingly yeah. enough. Um, I don't think I will ever go back to the regular turkeys and, them, and buy it for Thanksgiving. I mean, you can just be the flavor of that. I personally don't like turkey specifically because I find it far too dry. Yeah, because you've never tasted the turkey as what was intended to. The well, heritage breed. Where, yeah, um, it was absolutely delicious. Uh, it has nothing to do with what we are used to in this culture. Daniel, I just remembered two other things that uh, <laughs> that uh, has to do with things we do ourselves. If for a few years in a row we've been making our own uh, soap, we really enjoyed it, and there was a reason why we were making our own soap because uh, we wanted to use uh, 100% absolutely organic ingredients. So uh, that was a lot of fun. We stopped doing it because it's very labor-intensive, but we absolutely enjoyed it, and we learned quite a bit. But the second thing um, I wanted to say was, um, and again, I learned most of these things from Elena. I don't know where Elena learned them from. I, I hope she will not say that she learns it from me. 
<laughs> but um, but um, we, for the first time this year, we had uh, a lot of garlic. So I have to say that uh, our whole uh, property is vampire-free this year. Elena actually taught me how to braid the garlic. I was always wondering how do people braid the garlic. You know, you you can buy these braids. Yeah. So it turns out that you leave the garlic for like a few months. It sits in the ground and uh, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, like after a couple of months, you dig it out. And uh, you dry it, and then um, you braid them into these uh, braids. Is it the leaves that you're braiding, or it's the little yeah. kind of... It's a stem and leaves. Right, which you braid, as it turns out, is... Uh, garlic, in some ways, is similar to the onions. The green part right. of the onion, the scallions. Garlic has the same thing, and by the way, it's very delicious when, the gar- when garlic is uh, green. You can, uh, instead of scallions, you can use the green part of the garlic. It's uh, Mm. delicious. But if you let garlic sit in your garden, that's what you braid. I see. The scallion parts. That's very cool. If you had a magic wand, and you could basically just magically turn your, your house into the perfect farm or homestead or whatever you want to call it, but you could have whatever you want, where would you be living and what would it look like? So I will start because my list, I'm sure, will be shorter. What I would like to have, and Elena and I actually talk about this quite a bit, I would like to have a few milk cows, perhaps uh, sheep, so that we could make uh, our own uh, cheese and uh, hopefully sell it. Well, well, that would be my uh, dream, uh, Elena. My turn. <laughs> no, pr- pretty much the same. You know, I think we're on the same page. It would be a farm with um, multiple animals, but not meat for production. It would be uh, gold. Goats, cows, sheep, um, eggs, definitely, ducks. Um, I don't think I would go with a pig because pigs usually are for meat only, and that's not what I would, at least not at this stage, that's not what I would do. I would mm-hmm. love to um, have a large um, large far- vegetable farm and fruit farm, orchards, and not only uh, for us, but obviously if we have, lots of land and we can plant it, I would probably donate and or sell to the community or donate or have people come over and, and learn about farming. I would love to have a small, um, you know, like kitchen where you can cook and come, people come over and uh, eat from what we grow in the garden, you know, uh, like small restaurants or like yeah, a I would cafe, love this idea. Um, like you know, our own cheeses and perhaps a soap store, you know, so just like um, as much of a homestead life is possible, but I do want to share it. I would want to share it with people. It wouldn't be only, you know, fields of cabbage and that's it. I would, I would love to have different things planted and cook and introduce people to different flavors that they never tried before in their life. 
And we like, we, I think, maybe it's because we're getting older, I don't know, but I think we always were this way. We actually like doing things the old-fashioned or traditional way. For example, we have a pizza oven at home. We're just lucky to have a pizza oven, like a true wood-burning pizza oven. We like cooking in the pizza oven, and we cook different things there. Simply because, again, it's sort of going back to the to the roots, if you will. Um, because yes. uh, in the modern world, we are all uh, trying to rush and uh, save time. And uh, you sometimes sacrifice the quality by doing this. We are trying to, in this particular case, we are trying uh, to slow down and just really do it the way people used to do it for uh, thousands of years. I think that's very important, and and it's like you say, I mean, the world really is getting faster and faster, and uh, technology is constantly coming out to do things more efficiently, more effectively, and to remove as much kind of of the manual processes as possible. I remember a funny story with our, our own daughter, Catherine. She was already high school, if not in college, and she saw for the first time I planted corn, and for the first time she actually saw how corn grows. <laughs> and it was, you know, I was super shocked because she um, didn't think how that's how it grew, and, um, and I was shocked because it didn't occur to me that the child, you know, almost an adult, had never seen how corn grows. You know, yeah. because it was always so removed, being a city child. So it's, um, and, you know, it's very sad often because um, in today's world, children, as we said, in our culture in the United States, you know, where we live right now, children are so far away from the garden that they, you know, I'm surprised if they know that chickens lay eggs. Right. Or for example, talking about the eggs, a lot of adults, especially males, men, don't understand, just like I didn't know, I'm one of these people, I didn't realize that in order for chicken to lay uh, eggs, I didn't realize that you don't need a rooster. Yeah, we don't need you, man. That's right. (laughs) I I absolutely was uh, confused when Elena said that we will have... uh, chickens for eggs, but we will have no rooster. Uh, my question was, well, um, how is it going to happen? It's because about birds and bees. Right. <laughs> exactly. But I do want to echo something that Elena just said. I think these days a lot of people, not only the kids, but uh, just a lot of people don't know the simplest things. Like, for example, the how does the grain get converted the um, what is grain like how do you make bread wheat grows in the field but then there is whole process of uh, making uh, like uh, getting the grain and then of course uh, making ultimately dough but uh, just this whole process from uh, the field to the table most right. of the people don't understand and don't know and uh, cannot relate to. So uh, I think it's in many ways it's sad that it's lost because uh, people just don't know 
uh, lease things anymore. I agree with that. And you, I think you see it a lot more, especially in the cities when you walk around. And I mean, everywhere now there's all these fast food places and mm-hmm. they completely remove that entire process from the, right. yeah, from, you know, from the end product that people end up consuming. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have any books that you could recommend that um, people can can look through to get started in learning about these things? You know, honestly, no. I do, you know, I do get I do uh, get my knowledge from magazines. You know, that, you know, come out periodics, and uh, a lot of that is from internet. Mm. I'm sure there are lots of books. You know, you can read about that, but I do find that there are so many websites. And some, you know, or uh, sources that you can do without books. But the yeah. one thing that uh, Elena is very, uh, she's not mentioning it, but uh, a lot of it in Elena's case right. is uh, she knows a lot of this stuff because, again, as we said, we grew up with this. So uh, for, uh, for Elena, especially in many ways, it's just going back to... To her memories and uh, just knowing what to do. And perhaps fine-tuning through the Internet. Right, exactly. Makes sense. Exactly. And um, Zima, do you have any any books or anything that you like to read? Well, not, not in particular, but it's. I know it may sound funny, but uh, I actually like reading um, cookbooks, because especially the ones that uh, talk about um, vegetables uh, and um, when they really describe why certain things uh, are done certain way when you cook things. Yeah. And uh, to me, it's very motivating because the way uh, I don't have any... I have uh, some books, but uh, it's... uh, Nothing specifically to recommend, but to me it's very motivational because when I read about these things, when I read how important it is for uh, things to be fresh, when you read about simple things like how to make a salad and the dressing is as simple as just some lemon juice with uh, some fresh garlic and uh, some um, herbs from your garden and how you toss in the leaves uh, from your garden, the um, tomatoes and cucumbers. To me, it's very motivational, and that's what I immediately want to do. I just, uh, I almost like uh, feel, yes, (laughs) (laughs) I am getting too excited right now. Great. Well, I think that's um, that's a really great place to end, and I think it's motivational when you read about ways that you can cook just by stepping outside your front door, rather than having to go to the store and find all these things, knowing that it all exists just a few steps away. Yes, and it's very rewarding. It's uh, literally, there nothing beats when you literally eat the fruit of your labor. A hundred percent. Thank you both very much for your time. I thought this was very interesting. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Daniel. It was fun. So there you have it. Thanks for listening. I hope you found that as interesting as I did. I'd love to hear your thoughts on growing your own food, so please leave a comment and share this episode with anyone you think would enjoy it. Until next time.